hello, hello, everybody. This is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. Today is episode 91, and we will be looking at a medication called Haloperidol, brand name Haldol. You may often just hear it called Haldol. But before we hop into that, it is, of course, time for our listener shout out. And this one goes to a listener who just uses the name Brand New Nurse. And what she says is, Nurse Mo is amazing. She is great. It's like listening to your BFF explaining a subject to you. She makes a hard nursing subject easy to understand. I am grateful for your hard work and recording all of your podcasts and all the hard work you put into creating materials to help nursing students and new nursing graduates. So thank you so much for leaving that kind review. I very much enjoy reading all of your reviews. And if you guys want to be featured in a listener shout out, simply leave a review wherever you get your podcast fix. It will find its way to me. And if you have not yet subscribed, please do so. And if you rate and review, it just helps us show up higher on searches when other students are looking for us. And if it's, they see that it has a good reviews and lots of good ratings, they'll listen to. So in a way, you will be also helping other nursing students. So again, today is a pharmacology podcast. We are talking about a drug called haloperidol. You will also hear it called Haldol. So I remember a time not that long ago when I was having to give Haldol to a patient, and Haldol is an antipsychotic medication. So I was in a room, I think I had five other nurses in there with me, the patient had just come up from the ED and was in full-on psychosis from their drug use. So... You know, patients will often come up from the ED and they'll be in four-point restraints. And if you've never seen a patient in a full-blown psychosis, it can be really scary. Um, They are at high risk for injuring themselves as well as everybody else in the room. So the MD will often order a drug like haloperidol. And that's what happened in this case. So the the doc had ordered some haldol. And before I gave it, I had to check that it was safe to give it to the patient. We'll talk about that in a minute. But when you give a medication like this, it is typically so, so effective for um, helping alleviate that psychotic episode that the patient is having, that extreme delirium and psychosis and agitation. So Let's talk about Haldol. We'll talk about its drug class, why it is indicated, the all the different ways that it can be given, how you are going to give it safely, and how you're going to monitor your patient um, and anticipate certain side effects that they could have. So Haloperidol, let's just call it Haldol because it's a lot easier for me to say, is a, it's considered a conventional antipsychotic. So this would be one of those old school antipsychotics. It is definitely used a lot for chronic disorders such as schizophrenia, but you'll also see it used in the clinical setting as a way to manage that acute psychosis very extreme delirium, very extreme agitation. So this would not be used for a patient who's mildly agitated. It would be for your 
this patient is dangerous to himself and to others kind of agitated. He's not able to follow any commands. The patient's disconnected to reality, having delusions, having hallucinations, so altered, so combative that you cannot provide any appropriate medical or nursing care. So they need usually pharmacological management so that you can get them to a point where they will cooperate so that you can fix whatever reason they're in there in the first place. If a patient won't let you uh, put them on monitoring devices, assess their vitals, give medications, perform any interventions, then they can't really be helped that much in the acute care setting. So Haldol will help get them to a place where you can actually help them. So Haldol is a medication that can be given three different ways, and you'll you'll find that a lot of medications are like this. So you definitely want to check the route of administration and the formulation of the drug whenever you're giving it. So PO Haldol is used to treat moderate to severe long-term disease. Again, the patient with that schizophrenia could be taking Haldol PO by mouth. Haldol decan, I'm going to say this wrong, decanoate is given IM, and that is not at all for IV use, okay, this would be given IM only, and then Haldol lactate is given IV or IM, and this is going to be that fast-acting form that we use in the clinical setting, and it's the one we use where I work. That second one that I mentioned, the Haldol or Haloperidol decanoate, which I can't pronounce, that one that is given only IM is given more for long-term management for that patient who has, say, like schizophrenia, can be used for Tourette's syndrome. That's for the patient that may not be able to remember to take their PO Haldol every day, so they will get an injection of this. And I want to say it's it's a monthly type of thing. I'm not 100% sure. It might vary um, based on the patient, but I, I believe the recommended dosing interval is about four weeks. But again, in the hospital setting, it's that haloperidol lactate that we're giving IV or IM, and that's that fast-acting form of Haldol that we'll be using for this acute psychosis in the clinical setting. Now, note that giving haloperidol via IV is technically considered an off-label use, but you'll still see it prescribed that way in the clinical setting. And just because something is off-label doesn't mean that you can't do it. You just want to make sure that your order covers you for administering it IV versus IM. So you'll be checking for your route of administration as part of your five rights, or as I like to say, bulletproofing your medication administration. And if you guys haven't listened to the episode about bulletproofing your medication administration... That was episode 76, and there's also a blog post about it, and with the blog post is a, uh, a link where you can go and actually download the Bulletproof Medication Administration like checklist of things to consider, think about, evaluate before giving a medication so that you and your patient can both be really, really safe. So... We want to make sure that we're giving Haldol very safely. So how do we do that? So the key thing you need to know about Haldol is that it can really have detrimental effects for a patient with a prolonged QT interval. So 
Most likely when you're giving Haldol, when you pull it from the machine, at least the place where I work, it has like an alert that comes up and asks you, what is the patient's QT interval? And if it's above a certain point, then it's going to be contraindicated. So what is a QT interval and why do we care about it? So When that QT interval is prolonged, it's going to increase the risk of dysrhythmias in your patient. Okay, so that's like the basic answer. If you're in your advanced med surge or you're out there practicing as a nurse, you're already familiar with what a QT interval is. I don't want to get too bogged down into this because I did do a whole blog post about the QT interval and I will link to that. Um, And that's just that interval between the Q and the T wave on your EKG. And if that interval is too long, it increases the risk of that R wave falling on the T wave. And that can kick the ventricle into something like a sustained polymorphic ventricular tachycardia, otherwise known as torsades de points. So if you send your patient into torsades because you gave a medication that prolonged the QT interval, this would be really bad. And this is also often called R on T phenomenon. And that refers to the R wave falling on the T wave. And this is definitely something that you want to avoid. So that is why we're going to keep a very close eye on the QT interval in the clinical setting, because actually a lot of drugs can prolong the QT interval. And Haldol is definitely one of those drugs. And I, it must be like a more significant effect than some of the others because I've never pulled a different med that cautioned me initially with um, a warning that I needed to know the QT interval before giving it. So the effect of haloperidol on the QT interval is clearly pronounced, and that is why you absolutely must know what it is if you're going to be giving this medication, especially if you're giving this medication IV. So when you're learning um, about your EKGs, pay close attention to the QT interval. And it's not just as simple as knowing what the interval is. You also have to correct it for the patient's rate. So um, if you're interested in learning more about the QT interval and the corrected QT interval, which is the one that you will most likely be using for your assessment about giving Haldol, I will link to a whole post about QT intervals and why they're so vital for patient safety, so vital that you understand what they are. So just know that before giving Haldol, you need to know the QT interval. And if you're not sure how to measure that, find the nurse that you're working with or find your preceptor if you're a new grad or just find another nurse who can show you how to measure it and then you will have that information. And you can put that information into the chart to clarify that you are giving this medication safe safely. So back to talking about the risks of haloperidol. Um, The studies are showing that doses above about two milligrams of Haldol can prolong that QT interval to the point where it does cause that torsades de points, that polymorphic ventricular tachycardia. And when we say a tachycardia is polymorphic, it means it changes shape. And as you learn about ventricular dysrhythmias, you'll learn that torsades de points is a very 
polymorphic tachycardia that is very, very distinct. So doses above two milligrams can prolong it enough that your patient goes into torsades de pointe. So you want to be very careful and consider what the range is um, before you give it and then monitoring your patient very carefully afterwards. Um, many standard orders for Haldol IV are about five milligrams. Um, so just keeping that in mind with the two milligrams definitely can cause that prolonged QT. You want to be very careful when you're giving this medication. So what are you going to do when you're giving your medication, your Haldol to your patient? So you want to make sure they're hooked up to continuous EKG monitoring. If your patient is so combative and wild that you cannot get them on ECG or EKG monitoring, as it is sometimes called, you want to make sure the MD knows that and discuss with them the risk versus benefit of giving Haldol to a patient for whom you do not have monitoring. If they're not hooked up to the monitor, then you don't know what their QT interval is. So the physician may then order a different antipsychotic because they can't be monitored safely. You're definitely not going to go ahead and give it thinking, well, I'll hook him up after it takes effect because you have to know the QT interval before you give the medication. So the other thing that you're going to do is, okay, you've made sure they're hooked up. You're going to measure that QT interval now, and you're going to use that corrected QT interval. And what that does is it just takes that patient's heart rate into account when doing the calculation. And why do we want to do that? Because the QT interval is going to vary. That distance between the Q wave and the T wave will vary based on whether the patient's heart rate is fast or slow. So the QT obviously is going to be shorter at faster heart rates, right? It makes perfect sense. And then at slower heart rates, it's going to be a little bit longer. So by correcting it, technically, we have a value that is standardized. And that value is standardized despite the heart rate being fast or slow. And therefore, it is considered a consistent measurement. So your corrected QT should be standardized and equal no matter what the heart rate is, if it's too fast or too slow. So it's the corrected QT that we will be using for our Haldol um, measurement. And so that way we can compare this measurement against um, the patient at other times. Let's say you are doing the assessment before you give the Haldol and the patient's going absolutely wild. So their heart rate's 135. So if you were to not correct the QT, that QT is going to be shorter at that point. Then later when the Haldol takes effect and they're chilling in their bed with a heart rate of 90, the QT at that point is likely going to be longer just because the heart rate is slower. And now you would have a major discrepancy between your QT intervals. So we're going to correct it and standardize that measurement so that when we take it later, when his heart rate is 95, we can get a true measure of if the Haldol lengthened his QT interval. Okay, so I hope that makes sense for you guys. Um, let's see, in order to get that QT, that corrected QT interval, you first you're going to get the Q and the T, the distance from the Q wave to the T wave, that's one number. And to get the corrected 
QT interval, you also need the distance from your R to R. So from one R wave to the next R wave. You'll plug that into a QT calculator or a corrected QT calculator, and that will give you your QTC. We call it a QTC when it's corrected, capital Q, capital T, lowercase c. And if you see that, that's your corrected QT interval. Okay, so we've got our measurement. We've got our patient hooked up for safe monitoring. You are going to pay attention to any QT interval contraindications from the pharmacy or the MD. Follow this very exactly and make sure you follow administration instructions very, very carefully. So what this typically means with Haldol is giving it really slowly. Typically, that is over several minutes, which is going to be really hard to do with a patient who's wildly combative. So um, my advice would be if hopefully he's in restraints for his safety and yours, um, and you can stand at the bedside and feel safe slowly giving this medication. Um, you're going to give it and watch the clock and just slowly, slowly, slowly put that in. And the whole time that you are infusing this medication, you're watching that monitor and you're watching for any kind of dysrhythmia or change in their rhythm. Obviously, as you're standing there doing it, you can't also be measuring their QT interval. Some monitors... Um, uh, like in the intensive care unit, may be able to calculate that for you. Um, for the most part, though, you're going to be going and printing out a strip and doing a manual QT measurement after the fact. So you've given your medication very slowly. You've watched for any arrhythmias on your ECG, and then you will remeasure the QTC after you give it, and then again at regular intervals. And that will be either based on facility policy, if there is no policy surrounded, surrounding it, do it, um, maybe you do it, you know, every 15 minutes for the first hour and then every half hour after that. So whatever makes the most sense to you. More often, especially if you see arrhythmias on your EKG, okay? And then if your QT starts to get longer, 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 you definitely want to let the MD know this. Standard ranges are less than about 430 milliseconds for men and less than about 450 milliseconds for women. Of course, this could change based on what your facility deems normal. Um, so make sure you know what those normal values are and follow that policy and procedure as needed when you're giving this and monitoring it and alerting the MD to prolongations. One of the things to be aware of is that if your patient gets held all and their QT gets a little bit longer, um, you know, that's one thing. We kind of do expect it to maybe get a little bit longer. Hopefully it doesn't get so long that it puts them into that torsades de points. And that's why it's so important that you know what the number is before you give it. Because if it's on the edge and then you give it, you're probably going to put them over the edge. But there's a ton of other drugs that can prolong the QT interval. So my advice would be to, um, when the patient's interval is longish, if you know what some of those drugs are, you can look for them, but there are honestly so many. 
it might be worth just a quick chat with the MD or the pharmacist to say, hey, I just want to let you know, um, Sally's QT interval is 475 milliseconds. Are there any other medications that she's getting that can make it even longer that we should be aware of? And then they can look into that and think about changing some of those things. Um, Famotidine is one, Levaquin, Levofloxacin is one. Um, there's a whole bunch. Those are just a couple of common ones. Imodium. I mean, there's a ton on this list and drugs that are, you would not even think would be high risk. But if the QT is prolonged, you definitely want to be paying careful attention to other meds that could prolong that interval. Okay, so let's talk quickly about some side effects of Haldol that you need to be watching out for. Um, in addition to monitoring their QT interval, one of the side effects is tardive dyskinesia, and that's a common side effect with these traditional antipsychotics. And those are those irregular movements that occur. They're involuntary movements that occur. There's also acute dystonia, which is... Um, You'll see as like muscle contractions, spasms, things like that. Akathisia, which is a restlessness that the patient could have. Hopefully, they've calmed down. Usually, the side effect is that they've calmed down after you've given it. Um, you might see side effects more typically in patients that are taking it uh, long term, but that doesn't mean that it can't happen with just one dose. Maybe there could be some Parkinson's type symptoms with muscle rigidity that can happen. The bradykinesia, that very slow motor response, that is a common side effect. And then neuroleptic malignant syndrome is a syndrome of high fever, rigidity, confusion. It's very serious and can be fatal. So you want to keep an eye out for some of, some of those side effects effects. And if you guys are having trouble with your psychopharmacology and remembering the side effects and the little tidbits about each one of those, I do not blame you. It, it is really confusing. I did a podcast and I think I wrote a blog post about it. I will link to that as well. Um, and in that, I tell you a goofy way that I remember the side effects of psychopharmacology medications. And it's worth it for the entertainment value alone because I sing silly songs and tell silly stories. And um, it's a, just an easy way to help remember some of those details for your exams. So if you notice anything going on with your patient that concerns you, you definitely want to let your MD or NP or PA colleagues know about that immediately. And, um, you know, that's just part of your nursing assessment and your advocacy. If you see something concerning, you report it. You, that's how you advocate for keeping your patients safe and managing them appropriately. So um, that is haloperidol or haldol as it is called. And I know a lot of you guys are having some really serious challenges with pharmacology. And for that reason, I'm working on a pharmacology course for you guys that will be like a companion to your pharmacology um, that will hopefully simplify what you really like the key things you need to know um, so that you can feel confident in clinical and hopefully answer exam and NCLEX exam questions correctly. So that is in the process. And part of that is helping you guys come up with a systematic way to even know what to look at when you're studying a medication. Like, what do you need to know? There's a lot of information about drugs, and it can get real technical real fast. And 
my blanket statement is that as a nurse, as a nursing student, you don't need to know about these drugs at the level of a pharmacist. You don't. And if someone is trying to teach it to you at that level, they are doing you a really great disservice because that is not information that you even need. The information that you need is the nursing relevant information, which is completely different. So if your professor is getting way down into the weeds with the chemical reactions that happen when you take a drug, I'm sorry that that's happening to you. But if you aren't sure what you need to focus on, maybe because your school doesn't even have a pharmacology course, or maybe you're stuck with the professor that doesn't understand pharmacology from the nursing standpoint, then I have an acronym, because you guys know I love an acronym, that can help you really focus. So just like how the LATTE method helps you focus on when you're looking at a patient with a disease condition, this acronym can help you when you're looking at at drugs, and the acronym is DRUGS. So that's super easy, right? So the D is for the drug class, okay? So you need to know the drug class, because as you learn drug classes, You can start to kind of group like these antipsychotics, right? These traditional antipsychotics. You can kind of group them together into a general bucket of things that can cause the same kind of side effects, the same kind of effects in your patient. Generally, drugs in the same drug class will behave in the same way. There are always variations, but in general, they behave in the same way. So know the drug class. R stands for regular dose range. So what I mean by this is I if I I wish I was teaching you your pharmacology class you guys because I would not make you memorize the exact doses for say furosemide. I wouldn't do that because you're going to have a drug reference guide with you at work at all times and just knowing that much detail takes up brain space that you could much more effectively use elsewhere. But um, knowing the regular dose range is important because you want to be able to just kind of clue in and like, ooh, that's way too much, or wow, that's a really off dose for patient safety. I'm not saying you won't look these up as well, but just having that general idea. Like for instance, if you saw an order for 25 milligrams of fentanyl, I hope like heck your alarm bells would go off immediately because you would know fentanyl is dosed in micrograms. So 25 milligrams would be giant when the regular dose range is like 25 mics to 100 mics, okay, micrograms. So that's what I mean when I say regular dose range, a general idea, okay? That way when someone tells you that a patient takes 30 milligrams of morphine PO three times a day, you know that patient is on a whopping dose of morphine and likely has severe chronic pain issues that are very difficult to manage. Um, So just knowing those things, the regular dose range, general, you know, um, high level overview of what that is. And then U is for what is it used for? You need to know what medications are used for, what indications it has. So for example, knowing that Haldol in the acute care setting is often used for acute agitation and confusion, um, acute extreme delirium with combativeness. That is key. And knowing that it's also used to treat schizophrenia long term, that is key information that you need to know. 
And then the G is for guidelines. Like what kind of things are you going to do? For the how doll, I would say the guidelines are know that QT interval, guys. Get them on EKG monitoring and um, keep your patients safe in that way. Another one would be for a patient maybe taking like a beta blocker. The guidelines around that would be, hmm, maybe we check the heart rate and the blood pressure before we give it because it's going to reduce both. Um, For a drug like lithium, for instance, one of your guidelines would be, I need to get a lithium level because I know it has a very narrow therapeutic window and can quickly become toxic to the patients. So just knowing what guidelines like nursing assessments, monitoring parameters are surrounding that medication. And then the S is for side effects. What side effects is it going to have with the patient? Um, This comes into play when you're looking at um, your patient education. You obviously want to alert them to what side effects they may experience. And then for your own understanding, um, you know, your patient taking an antibiotic suddenly gets some severe diarrhea. Are you alarmed or are you kind of like, oh, yeah, that happens a lot with that antibiotic. It's, you know, distressing for the patient, but it's not actually super uncommon and you can, you know, educate them about that and kind of know what to expect for yourself. So again, the acronym is DRUGS, D-R-U-G-S. D is for the drug class. R is for the regular dose range. U would be for the use, why it's used. G is the guidelines that you'll follow when giving it. And S is for side effects. So I hope that helps you and you guys can look for that coming up. I'm really hoping to have it done before the end of the year. So that is my goal. That is my next big, big project that we are doing over here at Straight A Nursing after we get the app launched. So speaking of the app that reminds me that you guys love pod quizzes. So let's do some pod quiz questions now about Haloperidol. What do you say? Okay, so let's see. Tell me the three routes of administration for Haldol. Okay, very good. So it can be uh, PO by mouth in tablet form. It can be given IM as that long-term one that's used for the patients who may not be taking their medication regularly. And then it can be given IV or IM in that other form. And that's what we use as the fast-acting form in that acute clinical setting. And if you guys don't know what a pod quiz is, I realize I just jammed right into it without explaining it. It's flashcards for your ears. So I ask a question and then I pause. That's what that long silence was to give you time to answer and then I follow up with the answer. So it's like doing flashcards except you're up doing your laundry or taking the dog for a walk or going out for a run. Okay, so let's do another one. Um, What key assessment do you want to do before you even get the Haldol to your patient? You want to check the QT interval. Very, very good. And then how do you measure the QT interval? This one's easy because it's just from the beginning of the Q wave to that end of the T wave. So the QT interval. And then what do we want to, what other measurement do we need to get in order to obtain the corrected QT interval? 
Yes, that is the R to R from one R wave to the next. We will get that measurement, put that into the QT calculator, and we'll get our corrected QT interval. So we've got um, our QT measurement. Do you remember what the standard range was for men? It want, you want it to be less than about what? Usually about less than 430. Again, this can change based on what your facility deems normal, but that's a general good guideline. And then what about for women? For women, it was less than 450. Very, very good. And then how are you going to give this Haldol? Are you going to slam it or are you going to give it slowly? You're going to give the Haldol very slowly. And what can happen to your patient if the QT interval gets prolonged? What can that send them into? So that can send them into a polymorphic ventricular tachycardia. And do you remember what the name for that is? The name for that is torsades de points or torsades de points or turning of the point if you want to just put it into English, but I don't know why it's in French. I think is that French, torsades de points, but it is because we're fancy in the hospital, but it's um, that polymorphic ventricular tachycardia. And we didn't talk about this, but the treatment for torsades de points is IV magnesium. So if you guys um, are taking care of a patient and they go into torsades, the treatment for that is IV magnesium. Okay, so as you're giving the medication to the patient, what are you doing? You are watching the EKG for any signs of arrhythmias. And then right after you give the medication, what are you going to monitor at regular intervals? Yes, you're definitely going to monitor that QT, that corrected QT at regular intervals after giving it, and you're going to let people know if that interval starts to get long, and just keep in mind that there's lots of other meds that the patient could be taking that could further prolongate that QT interval, so make sure your team is aware. And then what, um, what is the side effect where the patient has slow motor movement? That was bradykinesia, so think kinesia movement, brady slow, slow movement. And then what would, were those three key signs of the neuroleptic malignant syndrome? It was high fevers, very good, rigidity and confusion. Might be kind of hard to differentiate the confusion, separating that out from the psychosis, but do your best. If you've got that high fever and that rigidity, I would be very concerned about neuroleptic malignant syndrome in this patient. And then the irregular movements, what's the uh, name for that? That one is the tardive dyskinesia. And then the muscle contractions and spasms. That is acute dystonia. And then what is, I'm going to say it wrong, akathisia. That was that restlessness that can occur. So you guys rocked it. You guys totally know Haldol. You're doing amazing. You've got a little acronym to help you focus your studying for pharmacology. You're crushing this. You're doing great in nursing school. So I'm really proud of you. So next week, we are going to be talking about...
placental abruption versus placenta previa. So these are two conditions that are kind of easy to mix up. So we're going to talk about them in tandem, uh, compare them one to the other, note the key differences so that you can do really well on your OB exams and your NCLEX questions about these conditions. So I will see you back here next week. I don't have any special announcements today, so I'm just going to invite you to come visit and join the Facebook group called Thriving Nursing Students. If you're not a, a member yet, what are you waiting for? It is the very best group on Facebook for nursing students. I work really hard to keep it safe, to keep it a positive environment, to keep the spamminess out of it. I mean, I, I spend a lot of time really just trying to keep the environment focused on nursing school and focused on you guys and what you're trying to achieve. So come over to Facebook, search for Thriving Nursing Students. Maybe I'll link to that as well. I have to write down all the things I say I'm going to link to. And if you guys ever notice that I haven't linked to something, um, remind me because um, I would hate to leave you hanging. And then you have to request to join. It is a private group, but all you have to do is answer three questions. The first question asks, where are you in your nursing school journey? Um, if you are, um, I find that people that are you know, those spam artists from other parts of the world don't know what I'm talking about. So they answer really weird. So that's one question you have to answer just to show me that you're not a weird scammer from, um, you know, some part of the world that um, is just trying to get you to uh, give all your money to a, uh, what is it? What were those scams that were going on a while ago? The Nigerian prince or the, <laughs> whatever those were. Anyway, no scammers allowed. And then the second question um, just says, you know, we don't allow, you know, sales or spam and sharing of copyrighted materials. I want to make sure that you understand that from the get-go and people say yes, which is good. And then the third question right now says, what's your favorite ice cream? And that's because A, I love ice cream and B, it's another, just another quick way to make sure that you're a real person. So just answer those three questions and you'll get in the group and then you'll see all the amazing things that we have over there. So I will see you guys next week where we talk about placental abruption and placenta previa. And take care and have a great week. In the meantime, you are doing absolutely beautifully. And I totally believe in you. Okay, bye. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.